1: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Thanks for being here. Welcome along. It's good to have you here as we go into a North London Derby. Almost feels like I should do it a little bit like this. As we go into a North London Derby. Sorry, I meant North London Derby. Well, we do. We do have a North London Derby coming up this Sunday. We travel to, um, where is it? Oh, White Hart Lane to play, um, who are they they called again? Tottenham. That's right. A game that could have some serious implications for Tottenham's title challenge. And also where we might finish because, of course, if we are to have any chance of getting into the top four and into the Champions League next season then uh, we're going to have to win pretty much the remainder of our Premier League games. You did the one in midweek, of course, against Crystal Palace, but we'll talk about that uh, in a while. And uh, you know what, though? I was thinking about this. Um, what happens if we don't finish in the top four? And you say, well, you know, so what? We don't, we don't get Champions League football. What's the difference? We only get knocked out in the round of 16 anyway. I can live without that. Maybe the Europa League will be something different, something fun, something exciting. And I... I see that point of view. I absolutely see that point of view. The problem I have with this is not so much about the football or whether we're playing FC Flivstiv from Yugoslavia. Uh, I don't care about that. You know, I'm not. I'm not. You know, too proud to say that we're playing FC Vlipsniv from or wherever they are. I don't. You know, it doesn't make any difference to me. But as we know, the Europa League games take place on a Thursday. Thursday. And I'm looking at this through the prism of my own work. Maybe I'm being selfish. But if these games are taking place on a Thursday, what am I going to do about the podcast for a Friday, a Friday morning podcast? It's just been, it's always been that way. Since the Arscast launched in 2006, it was always on a Friday morning. People expect the Arscast on a Friday morning. What am I supposed to do? I mean, you could say, stay up really late. You, you indolent slacker, you lazy bastard, just stay up late and do a podcast and make sure it's there for us on Friday morning or else. But that's fine. That is fine. You know, I get that. I can see how you might want me to do that. The issue I might have is who do I talk to? Can't very well email someone and say, hey, would you like to uh, appear on the podcast this week? That's great. Yeah. If you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to give you a Skype call at 2 a.m. So we can talk about the game that was on a Thursday night, and we can preview whatever game is coming up at the weekend on Sunday. We're going to have a lot, a lot of Sunday football if we finish in the Europa League places. So this, for me, is the uh, the struggle from a professional, from a podcasting point of view. It's It's not the only reason I want Arsenal to finish in the top four. <clears throat> no, seriously, honestly, it's not. I want the team to finish as high as it can up the table, for the sake of the team, and for the fact that you know we might be able to attract better players in the transfer market. I'm just leaving a little space there for you to, to laugh out loud. I think that's what they say. But you know, to to be able to keep players like Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sticky one. So. I don't quite know what to do in that regard. I suppose we'll just have to cross that bridge as and when we, we come to that particular bridge. Um, we can't not play in the Europa League if that's where we finish. I think, in some ways, we're are we almost guaranteed a Europa League place? How many teams go into the Europa League? Is it, is it three or two or what? I don't know. Let me let me look this up. Uh, how many English teams? go into Europa League How many teams in the Europa League Come on What the fuck the what Wikipedia says that the minimum quota is four English clubs to qualify for the Champions League and three for the Europa Ah oh, three Pfft. So even if we finish 7th we're going to get Europa League football next season Hmm. It's going to be tricky. This is going to be a tricky situation that's going to require all my, my, my brain power uh, to figure it out. But look, we'll cross that bridge, as I said, when we come to it. It has been a good week. We're in the FA Cup final. We beat Manchester City 2-1 at Wembley. It was good, it was exciting, it was refreshing, it was reinvigorating, it was it was just nice to win a big game against big opposition coming from behind, um, as we did, going a goal down to Sergio Aguero, then getting one back through Nacho Monreal and Alexis Sanchez ultimately scoring the winner, and I think that has uh, lifted the mood a little bit, as it should, uh, a Wembley final. Well, I mean, I'd rather a final anywhere but Wembley because it's so terrible, but it is what it is, it's the chance of a trophy this season, and you can't really... turn your nose up at that. And then in midweek, we played Leicester. Leicester.
2: I don't like Leicester.
1: Not saying that they're the worst team in the world or they're the worst bastards in the world. Clearly, that's not the case. There are other teams and other players and other managers who are far more dislikable than they are. But I I just really, I don't like them. Every time we play them, I find myself going, oh, I don't like you. I don't like you, Leicester. Or your players or your or any of you, sort of seething silently to myself. It was a bit like that the other night. Champions, the champions, the Premier League champions coming to the Emirates after we played 120 minutes at Wembley, and they didn't even play a game. They didn't have a Premier League game. They haven't played a Premier League game since um, the 15th of April, followed by a Champions League game against Atletico Madrid right, on the 18th of April. So they've had a load of rest. They were going to lose that game anyway. And all they did was defend. They parked their Leicester-shaped bus, and they defended and defended and tried to catch us on the break, and that didn't work. And then, of course, we uh, got the very late goal through through Nacho Monreal's shot, which deflected off the right bosom of Robert Huth. Into the bottom corner of the net, Casper Schmeichel left stranded. And then there was that whole throw-in incident thing, which I, you know, a lot of people have criticized Alexis Sanchez for. And look, I get the, the the diving thing and rolling around. Look, nobody really likes to see that. You want to see players act a little more professionally, with a little more decorum, but you know, in this instance, I'm pretty much on his side. What he was trying to do was to absolutely distract Lester from the opportunity they had to fling a long throw into our box. He was trying to put them off. He was trying to just wind them up a little bit. And it worked. If he had to behave like a bit of an idiot to do that, so be it. That's taking one for the team, people. Taking one for the team. Yeah, I had to roll around and go. Oh, I know I haven't really been hitting the face by the ball, but I'll roll here. It'll wind them up. They'll lose their focus. They won't be quite as switched on, and maybe that will be good for us. It'll help us defend this uh, this uh, set piece, something which has been our undoing. So I, I'm I'm on board with Alexis Sanchez in that regard. Like if he did it against Tottenham on Sunday, if we're two nil up and they've a free kick and he does something similar. Man, I you know, I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invent my own nation and then I'm going to knight him. He can be a knight of the, the nation of Andrew, Andrewland, whatever it is. Ars Blogania. I, I don't know. But I'm I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because you know, I don't I don't like don't like Lester. And I tell you what else I didn't like was the guy called Ben Alun. I didn't like that one bit. And I've noticed a growing trend this season. I don't know if you've noticed this too, but players who almost sound like Arsenal players or ex Arsenal players. Cause every time I heard Ben Alun I was thinking Ben Aun Yossi Ben Aun, who spent a season with us on loan from, from Chelsea. Yossi Ben Ayun Ben Alun Ben Ayun And then I remembered we played Hull City and there's a guy called Grozitsky. You're going, hang on a minute. You just put a G in front of Rosicki and you think that gives you the right to run around our pitch with impunity? No, sir, it does not. And in the same game, they had a player called Klukas. Klukas, Lucas, Klukus, Lucas, Klukus, Klukus. You see, if you do it all together, it just loses all meaning. It sounds like the same name. Lucas, Klukus, Lucas, Klukus. That's difficult. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? This is not good. I don't like it. They're co opting the names of our players. Like if Stoke signed a player called Tom Blurgkamp, I'm going to go fucking mad. I promise you. It just will not wash. This should not be allowed. You're just waiting for them to announce on Sky Sports News when the transfer window opens this summer. Oh, West Ham have signed Kim Skalstrom from somewhere. I don't know where he plays at this moment in time, but all these players are going to rock up in the Premier League whose names sound quite like Arsenal player names. It's not right. I don't approve, and I demand that something be done about it. I don't know what exactly. Maybe we could make these players change their names or pronounce them differently. So Sam Klucas would not be able to call himself Sam Klucas. He would have to, I don't know, Frenchify his name. So he becomes Sam Kluka, and, and the Benaloon guy could be Benalune or something, or Benaloon, I don't know. Just, you know, do the vowels differently, just so it doesn't annoy me as much. Maybe it's just me, but uh, I'm quite precious about small things that make no difference to anything. That's just who I am. Sorry. Sorry. But look, enough of that. Oh, I should tell you as well, uh, a bit later on in the show, I'm going to give you a chance to win a competition. A competition, which is a copy of Mesut Ozil's, uh new book. It's called Gunning for Greatness, My Life. I'll give you details of that a little bit later on. But now, let's look back at the week that was from an Arsenal perspective. Joining me, a man who writes for the Islington Gazette, the most local of Arsenal newspapers. It's Leith Youssef. Hi there. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Let's start with what happened on Wednesday night against Crystal Palace. Um, having come off something of a high, I guess, uh, from Wembley on Sunday, Arsenal beating Manchester City 2-1 to reach the FA Cup final. It was bread and butter stuff, uh, and it wasn't Crystal Palace at all. It was Leicester City, of course. Uh, we lost to Crystal yeah. Palace a couple of weeks ago, so um, yeah, we don't need to be reminded of that. But um, it, it was a it was a fairly laboured uh, evening. I think Arsenal looked like a team who'd played 120 minutes, and Leicester were a team that didn't look like they wanted to cross the halfway line for most of the game.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was it was a very scrappy game. Um, it was a really flat atmosphere, considering we'd um, we'd, we'd sort of qualified for Wembley. Um, there were a lot of empty seats at the start yeah. of the game and a lot of empty seats during and at the end of the game as well. Um, Leicester. You, you know Shakespeare's done really well there taking over from Ranieri and no one can begrudge him that but they didn't come to play they weren't the Leicester of last season everyone knows that they defended well and good luck to them and it was down to Arsenal break them down and and they did finally it was um, they had a bit of luck but, but it was good to see the goal go in because um Six points behind Man City in fourth place. That you know that there is still that chance. You can Arsenal can finish in the top four. So, yeah. But it, it was it was one of those games. You just you, you follow the match report and you go I and mean, you forget about it. And if you're a fan, you, you just you forget about the game straight away or go down the pub and, and talk about something else. Basically, <laughs> it was one of those games.
1: Yeah, it's not one that's going to live long in the uh, in the annals of Arsenal's history. To be fair, but um, the, the goal uh, coming as it did, an own goal deflecting in off Robert Huth and when you look back at what happened at Wembley as well the disallowed goal in the first half for Manchester City you know you watch these games and you watch us struggle at times and there's been moments in this season where you think maybe just a little bit of luck might have changed our uh, trajectory a little bit sooner so it's nice to see that uh, you know we're we're getting a little bit of good fortune rather than everything going the wrong way
3: yeah yeah you're absolutely right and um, and touching on the on the semi-final again I, I think they did have a lot of luck with some um, with ref Craig Prossen um, and disallowing that goal after uh, Sane's cross, basically. Uh, Arsenal, we don't seem to get on the end of those sort of decisions sometimes. And I think it it was a real pivotal moment in the game. Um, And and obviously Arsenal capitalised on it eventually. Um, Again, talking about Wembley and and talking about last night, it was interesting. It was Nacho Monreal who fired the ball in with Giroud, Jocelyn, Huth. Mm. And obviously the ball coming off Huth into the net. Monreal has been a revelation in that role, just as Oxlade-Chamberlain has. I wrote a piece in uh, my Arsenal column in, in, in this week's Gazette about... Um Oxlade-Chamberlain, because if you remember, I think it was about three years ago when Arsenal played Palace. at Arsenal. It was 2-0. It was, it was a Sunday game. It's mm. instantly forgettable, apart from Oxlade-Chamberlain's performance. He was playing centre midfield, and he was, he was Brian Robson-esque, for want of a, a lack of Arsenal reference there. He was absolutely fantastic. And I made a point in my column, basically saying, have we been playing him in the wrong place? Because he never really kicked on in centre mid. He, he, he tries his best. I've interviewed him um, a couple of times over the years, and he's a very, very... He's a lovely bloke. He he, he loves his football. He, He works hard. He's one of the lads... Um, but, but he just felt there was, it was, slightly, there was something there in, a, in, in terms of a lack of confidence. It was almost like he didn't believe how good he could be. Mm. And I think this wing-back role is, is, is absolutely perfect for him. He's got the pace, he's got the energy, he's got the power, he, he, his attacking instincts are great. If you ally that with a bit of defensive um, mouse as well, which hopefully will come, I, I think he could be a perfect wing-back. And it was very interesting that we obviously played three at the back again last night, or admittedly, Going to four when um, when Gibbs came off and um, yeah, I thought Nacho Monreal played really well last night. As I say, it was it was very interesting. He he had the shot that led to the goal as well. So, yeah. yeah,
1: he's yeah. a very versatile player, Monreal, of course, because he's played left back, he's played left wing back, and then he slotted in in one of the centre half roles
3: last night. Yeah, um, and another. Yeah. He's one of those players you only notice if um, if he doesn't play well.
4: When yeah, he that's, plays well yeah. as a left
3: back. Yeah, he, he's um he, he, he he's quite consistent. But when Mm. he has a bad game, he really does have a bad game. So Mm. I think this this wing-back role could free him up if if it's a long-term option. Although, Mm. obviously, we never know with Arsene Wenger. Well, yeah,
1: that's true. I mean, but mentioning Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well, I think it's interesting Mm. that you mentioned lack of confidence. It's something Arsene Wenger has spoken about before with Oxlade-Chamberlain, where he says he has a tremendous amount of self-doubt that he doesn't quite have the confidence in himself that he should have. But even so, having seen him perform well in this wing-back role on the right hand side and I'd agree with you that from, from the little we've seen of it so far it's not a huge amount not a big sample size you'd have to say but it, it does look like it yep. suits him and his qualities but even so Arsene Wenger is saying to him you know uh, he said during the week he's he's going to end up as a central mid, midfield player this this spell on the right will help him be a central midfield player and you do wonder like if sooner or later he's going to have to bite the bullet with Oxley chamberlain and say look if you are going to be a central midfield player this is the only place I'm going to play you from now on, and you're going to have to fight for a place in in that position. In some ways, his versatility yeah. is is working against him.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Jack of all trades, master and none. You're absolutely right. I, I think. I mean, it's, it's not the first time Wenger's tried to to knock, um, you know, round pegs into square holes and vice versa. And and sometimes it's come off. Sometimes it hasn't. Wenger does seem to have an obsession with with playing Chamberlain in the middle or wanting to that it, him to be in that position long term. As I say, that Palace game, he was fantastic. He was he was driving forward. He was, he was winning tackles. He was he was playing the ball forward. He was absolutely wonderful. And you thought, wow, if he if he can kick on and do that week in week out, we've got a world class player, and not just an international class or a or, a, or a long term prospect at Arsenal. But it never really happened, and you, and you do wonder whether. Arsenal's system does suit him if he's going to play central mid. But I, I thought he was a revelation at, at, right, back, at right wing back on, mm. um, on Sunday. Um, yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. And, and it showed his spirit as well because he, he went off. I think he was hobbling and he went off on crutches. Uh, he, left, he left Wembley on crutches and um, he was on the bench last night. And that, that shows his spirit as well. And it, you know, we, we knock Arsenal when, when they deserve to be knocked, basically, as do the fans. And um, as does everyone really, and and when they show a lack of character as they did at Palace, like you say a couple of weeks ago, they deservedly. You know, they, they attract a lot of criticism and deservedly so. But when they show character like they did on Sunday, it was absolutely fantastic. And even again last night, digging deep to get that win. Wenger said afterwards, and I was at the press conference afterwards as well, and he said, we needed to win. We needed to take the gamble. You know, it, 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 it was no good for them. And, and they did it. And that's got echoes of Arsenal's great teams in the past. No one's saying this is, is potentially a great team at the moment, but it's just nice to see a bit of spirit again. Mm. It really was.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's been in short supply over the last few weeks and uh, to be reminded uh, uh, that there is some quality and uh, a bit of uh, a bit of balls left in the team is no bad thing. I think it's yeah. given everybody a lift at a time when things were feeling really quite um, really quite disenchanting or disenfranchising what's the word I'm looking for just disappointing even you know it's uh, yeah. it's been difficult oh, but no, you, you mentioned you mentioned the empty seats and that was something that was very obvious a couple of people on Twitter mentioned to me that there were some transport issues in and around Arsenal I think there was um, an issue with Highbury and Islington but um, from the club announcement it's an issue
3: with Highbury and Islington I yeah think. but they
1: <laughs> okay. said that this is something that would affect people more after the game yeah. than before the game and I think one of the things that we've touched on on the podcast and on the blog over the last number of weeks is that for all the protests, for banners, for people who who, uh, complain on social media and everything else... When it gets to the point where people aren't turning up to the stadium, that is really the most effective form of protest, that people feel like there's, there's not much left to them to get their point across other than to not go, or they're either so not interested in what's left of this season that they're not willing to go. Um, you'd like to think that those empty seats weren't just noticed by people on Twitter and noticed by TV cameras, but noticed from the people who were sitting in the director's box last night and and paying close attention to that,
3: yeah, yeah. You make some really good points there. What what I think it's a bit of as well, it's it's not obviously there have been protests outside, and, and there is a movement to try and get people to boycott games or turn up early or uh, turn up into the game or, or leave early. Mm. But I really think it's got sort of a lot to do with apathy as well. I think people are just a lot of people, despite the last couple of weeks, uh, are just really really down on Wenger at the moment. And I think a lot of old school fans, um, potentially people I've talked to, I mean, I've been watching Arsenal 30 years and I know, I know a lot of friends who have been and we still do. And um, there's a lot of people saying they're not going to renew if, if Arsenal Wenger is um, is given that two-year contract or even signs mm. for the extra year. In terms of making, making the sort of hierarchy sit up and look at it, those tickets are already sold. They've got the money for it. They've got the revenue for it. Admittedly, you could argue that, 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 that you know, the people who aren't turning up are not spending any money at the club on the particular night, but that's minuscule compared to yeah. the fact that the tickets have already been sold. Um, th- there's, a, there's a massive waiting list there as well. And I, I think it really does... I mean, this is just from my point of view. I, I think the club really doesn't mind who has those tickets so long as they sell them, basically. Yeah, I mean, which is, which, is dangerous, which is dangerous in a way, because yeah. you're obviously losing a massive section of old-school fans and and people have supported him thick and th- through thick and thin of course actually. and I know a lot of people have had enough and it's a real shame because obviously yeah it's great that Arsenal got to Wembley and it, you know the win last night puts puts a challenge back in for the back four but I still can't forget the the, the palace result and and the, more importantly the palace performance yeah. that was um it was just desperately disappointing. You never want to see an Arsenal team lose, but you never want to see an Arsenal team lose with a lack of character. Yeah. And that brought back the, the, the dog days of Donnell, basically, for me. That was, that was arguably one of the worst performances I've seen in 30 years at Arsenal. And mm. we've seen a few. I mean, a Rex in away, you know, Walsall at home in the, in the, in the League Cup in 83-84, you know, and various other ones, Bradford away. You know, it's just, we want some fight, and we want a team that is going to challenge for the league, basically. You know, we we watched Arsenal the eighties. No one's got a divine right to <laughs> to win a trophy. No one's got a divine right to even challenge for a trophy. What you want to see is progress. And I think if we were still at Highbury, people would be a little bit more patient. But we were sold a dream. Moving from Highbury was going to elevate Arsenal to the next level of um, of sort of you know world domination, as it were. And it just hasn't happened in terms of a a, a challenge for the league title. You could you yeah. argue maybe two thousand and eight. It carried on until you know the defeats. Uh, Old Trafford in sort of mid was it mid April late April but there's not been a consistent league title challenge since they moved basically yeah. and I think a lot of people have are really frustrated about that and that that reflects in terms of frustration with Wenger as well yeah I mean that, but, that's just one strand obviously yeah but, I mean that's what I think about
1: that I know it's I know it's only anecdotal and I I can only go from what a couple of emails that I've received but some people who were much uh, lower down on the waiting list than they thought they were. Mm-hmm have been contacted by the club to say that there's the possibility, yeah. and I'm sure you've heard this from people as well, that the people who yeah. are like way down in the tens of thousands um, who who are supposedly ahead of them are being contacted to say there's the possibility that they might get a ticket. And I think the other thing that we have to take into account is whether those tickets are sold or not this season is, maybe it's a moot point because the money's in the bank and everything else. When it comes to people renewing and when it comes to things that are really important for the club, as much as we, I feel there's perhaps a little too much business focus um, from a fan's Mm. point of view. We know so much about sponsorship and marketing and kit deals and sponsorship deals and everything else. But the reality is when you look at how much money football clubs turn over, where they get their money from is is more and more based on the commercial side of the game. You cannot go to a blue chip sponsor or try and sell Arsenal as a blue chip uh, sponsorship investment to a company who are looking at a stadium that's got thousands and thousands of empty seats they don't want to be yeah, associated absolutely. with that they or you know so what happens is you either miss out on the really good sponsors or you're selling yourself short uh, to other sponsors who are taking advantage of the fact that you're not in in some ways desperate for the money but you you're left with little option because um, there are just so many empty seats in your stadium yeah
3: yeah you're absolutely right and and, and brands brands market themselves as being aspirational and if if you're associating, associating yourself with a football club it's got no, ten thousand empty seats. That's not something that you'd want your brand to be associated with. So you could argue, um, if there is a concerted fans boycott, that could make the powers that be sit up and and look at it in terms of you know there are empty seats. And I remember Liverpool was it Sunderland a couple of years ago at, at Anfield. They um they they were really really concerted and and united in their um in the, in their protest and they walked out 13 minutes ago. And ironically, I think it actually had an effect on the game as well. I think some of them equalised to make it to all, Jermaine Defoe, the mm. when, when half the cup was empty because they were really frustrated with, with what was going on there. And if there was something similar at Arsenal, I think that would make a difference. But obviously Liverpool as a city, it's, um, it's a very united, it's a community-based city. London's so disparate. You've got fans coming from all the home counties as well and, and elsewhere too. I don't think you'd ever have that sense of community and, and sense of... Uh, you you know, unity that would would allow a boycott where everyone leaves with, say, 13 minutes to go or or what have you. So Mm. I don't think that would happen. I I think apathy is the main... It's the main tour, right? I agree. That, that I agree. Just use.
1: Yeah. I totally yeah. agree. But yeah. look, um, hopefully what's happened over the last uh, week or so, the fact that there's a cup final on the horizon will, will re-energise people a little. And whether we think it's doable or not, there is, of course, the prospect of a top-four finish. I think it's going to be really, really difficult. Uh, and it's going to be mm-hmm. very difficult to get the win that we require in a North London derby. Now, if you look at the overall season, Tottenham clearly have had their best season in many, many years. It looks like they're going to finish ahead of Arsenal for the first time in Arsene Wenger's reign. I think that's twenty-one years. Um, yeah. And look, law of averages suggested it was going to happen sooner or later. And I'm, you know, not not overly invested in in that side of things. Um, you know, I don't feel like our big failure this season is finishing behind Tottenham. It's it's just not challenging for the title again. That's the the bigger picture. But whatever way they've played this season and however strong they've been when it comes to the Derby it's a little bit special and Arsenal have a chance to put a real dent in their title hopes that that shouldn't be our ambition our ambition of course should be to win the game and take the three points because we need them but from a fan's point of view it would go it would really help I think you know re- keep, uh, keep mending those fences that they've worked on the last couple of weeks
3: I always try and separate I'm, I'm obviously a full-time journalist and I cover Arsenal from the press box um, and I'll be there on Sunday for the Islington Gazette and various other newspapers as well Um, and if you're talking about Tottenham you're absolutely right it's the best Tottenham side that I can remember since the mid 80s and they're almost more consistent than that that flair side in the mid 80s as well they've they've got a real team ethic there they work really hard Um, they've they've got a forward who can play well score goals they've got a defence that's really tight they're big lads as well they're powerful they've got a young dynamic manager it's um you know, it's going to be tough for Arsenal. That's from a journalist's point of view, and obviously when you're in the box, you're completely neutral, and I'll be reporting it, like I say. From someone with my Arsenal fans out, on, someone who's watched the games for 30 years, I've been to probably more than 75 Arsenal Spurs games home and away, and... um this is a real test for Arsenal. This is, you know, they show character at Man City on Sunday, but will they show it on, when when they really need to at Spurs? Mm. It's, um, you know, we've seen we've seen some great Arsenal teams down at down at White Hart Lane under Tony Adams and various other players as well. And uh, you know, I, I was at, uh, in two thousand and four when when Arsenal won the league there again, and um, there was some great teams there. You just fear a little bit for Sunday. Obviously, you know, Arsenal, if they do play as well as they did against Man City and ride their luck and show character, they may have a chance. But, yeah, it's going to be really, really tough. And like you say, I mean, obviously from a a Spurs point of view, they will be pleased that if they do win, they will finish above Arsenal, whatever happens from now on. Mm. From now on in. But... From an Arsenal point of view, I don't think that matters that much. And from a Spurs point of view, I think they've they still think they've got a chance of actually winning the league. Certainly, yeah. if they beat Arsenal on Sunday, they'll. Um, they, I think the gap will be one point before Chelsea play again. So yeah. it's game on, really. I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it as a as a journalist and a fan. I can't. I love the atmosphere down there. People go. It's really aggressive and intimidating, and it is. And that's the whole point. That's what you want from a derby. Obviously, no one would ever condone violence and anything like that. And, You know, from a fan's point of view, it's a bit hairy outside afterwards.
1: Yeah, it's easier when you've got your journalist hat on, you can just slink out. Yes. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the bonuses, actually. On Sunday, I'm not looking forward to... Uh, I know my friends are not looking forward to walking out outside afterwards, but that's a completely different story. But yeah, it's um, it's just going to be a cracking game. I'm so looking forward to it, as uh, as is everyone else, I think. I mean, and if you don't, then you've got to question why. You know, it's it's an North London derby. It's the end of the season. It's going to be rocking. Arsenal could have a chance to inflict Spurs' last ever loss at, at White Hart Lane, or the old White Hart Lane. Yeah. The White Hart Lane as we know it. But that's another... Another thing as well, another strand to it. So yeah, I I can't wait. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I mean, for my, for me, my, my favourite favourite ever Arsenal game was um, 4th of March 1987 I was a kid and I went to um, the Lillard's Cup semi-final and replay I went to all three semi-finals but I went to that game and that for me was my favourite ever game that for me beats Anfield it's just a personal thing and obviously Anfield was massive and I've been to every other sort of you know triumph and, and every other game practically home and away over the last 30 uh, years but for me that, that game started George Graham's teams basically was, that was, was a kickstart to that, 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 that was a catalyst for Anfield 89 and, sure. and you could almost see the strand that goes through to today, basically, from that game, I think. But, was that the yeah, one where they yeah, were announcing
1: was, uh, the tickets?
3: Yeah, yeah, because it's funny, because I've got a lot of Spurs fans who uh, are friends as well, and um, they say it never happened when, when the PA came in at half-time and, 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 and said, you know, you can you, this is how you get your tickets. It did happen, because I was there and I heard it, along with 12,000 other Arsenal fans, <laughs> and we went crazy. We went absolutely crazy. That, re- that was almost the rallying point. That was I think we won it down at half-time. You know, Charlie Nicholas had, had gone off, was just about to you know, really under the under the sun and, and that was a real rallying cry a clarion call to, to ask the one and off the pitch and, and, and for Spurs I had to say it didn't happen well it did because I was there and I heard it basically so yeah, yeah happy memories but you know there, there's a lot of memories over the years I mean for me the probably one of the worst ones was that 5-1 League Cup defeat I, I remember um, a 5-0 in 82-83 as well George Wood was in goal there's been so many sort of good and bad memories over the years and um you just, you just hope Arsenal can make the, can make memories for the right reasons on
1: Sunday. Absolutely. Hope so, anyway. Yeah, well, let's hope so. I mean, it is the, the final game of uh, this White Hart Lane, and having won the league there in the past, uh, it would be quite the thing to uh, win the final game there, put a real nail in their title uh, chances, and uh, and uh, keep our own yeah. top four chances alive. But look, we, uh, we'll hope for uh, a good result. Good luck covering the game, uh, slinking out of White Hart Lane with your little journalist hat on. Um, great to talk to you late. <laughs> thanks, to thanks a you.
3: million. Cheers, and um, Take care. All the best.
1: Thank you very much indeed to Laith. You can find him on Twitter at Laithy29. That's at Laithy29, L-A-Y-T-H-Y 29. And he's also the author of a very uh, a very cool book uh, called The Miracle of Copenhagen about Arsenal winning uh, the Cup Winners' Cup, you'll remember, in 1994. That amazing Alan Smith goal against that uh, really rather good Parma side which had uh, Aspria uh, Gianfranco Zola, Thomas Brolin before he became the world's largest manager. And so uh, it's a good book. You can check it out, I think, on Amazon. So search for The Miracle of Copenhagen uh, and check that out if you haven't already. Right. We're going to take a short break. We're back with the competition and more after this.
2: No, 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 no. Look no. no.
1: This is John Grills from the Creepy
0: Podcast.
1: With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
1: Right then, time for a bit of a competition, and what I've got for you this week is a copy of Ozel's book, just released. It's called "Gunning for Greatness: My Life," by Messet Ozel. Now, the publisher sent me this book, and I looked at it, and I thought to myself, "Do I want to read it? Do I want to read this book? Nice picture of Meso Ozel on the back. Picture of Mesodozel on the front. Looking very clean cut. Just got his hair all done. Mesut Gunning for greatness. My life. Little thing in the top corner here. With a forward by Jose Mourinho. Still, you know, it's a book by Mesut Um, And I thought about it and I said, no, I don't. I don't really want to read it because I'm not sure that footballers... Uh, should be doing biographies while they're still playing. And if they are doing a biography while they're still playing, it is probably, you know, not full of the good stuff that you need. Because you can't say stuff about people, A, that you're still playing with, or B, that you might come up against in another game. Because, you know, it's just not the done thing. You know, you keep keep things quiet. This sanctity, the omerta of the dressing room and all that kind of stuff. So my feeling was it's um, it's not a book I'm particularly interested in. So... What better thing for me to do than to give it to one of you guys? Because I'm sure somebody out there would like to read it. And if you are one of them, all you've got to do is send me an email to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com, And tell me from which club... Did Real Madrid sign Mesedozol because we obviously signed him from Real Madrid but what German club did Real Madrid sign Mesedozol from competition at arsblog.com and you could win yourself the a copy of this uh, this book with a forward by uh, Jose Mourinho I wonder what his forward says I haven't um I haven't read any of it I wonder is it uh, actually about Mesedozol or would it perhaps be about um Jose Mourinho. First word, I'm. Then I found a wonderful player. In my, I put him top of my golden. When I moved to Madrid, I realized that I was missing someone. I decided to sign him. I have many things to be pleased about. I have been able to give him everything as a coach. Yeah, there you go. Jose Mourinho. Sort of man who would turn up at his best friend's funeral and talk about himself. But that's... um. That's something we all know, I guess. Now, as I said, we do have a North London derby on Sunday, so why not a bit of perspective from the other side uh, of this particular game? I can't say I'm delighted to have him on, but it's a welcome back to the show for Harry Hotspur. Hello there.
4: Hi, how you doing?
1: I'm all right. How are you doing, I think is the question here, because uh, I guess you're suffering from probably vertigo and a nosebleed from being above us for the first time in God knows how long.
4: Yeah, um, (laughs) listen, this is probably not what you want to hear, um, but no, I'm delighted. I am personally where a lot of your fans are now in terms of that I've already got there. I want to win stuff. Yeah. And um, the Wembley thing, the Chelsea thing, the rest of it, I'm happy with second, but I'm not cartwheeling. Um, the other problem some of your listeners may have with me is that I don't actually wake up every morning and hate Arsenal (laughs) Um, you know I I don't mean to be snide when I say you're not I don't really think of you at all Um, yeah um, I have an irrational contempt it's definitely for West Ham Um, so that you know probably I'm a little bit fixated a bit tribal with that but yeah, the St. Ham Day is supposedly coming up, and do you know something? It never really made me blush or feel sad, and I won't be letting off fireworks on, sure. on Sunday either. Sure. But yeah, it's it's great, it's fantastic, it's despite us. Mm. <laughs> um, but I really want to win something. Well, yeah, um, that's that's the next step, isn't it? I mean, what what did you make
1: of last weekend against uh, Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final? Because you know, obviously you played really well, but still somehow managed to concede four goals. And, you know, as somebody who is very well aware of how Arsenal, Arsenal can be, that was that was pretty spursy, if you like.
4: Yeah, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say take exception, but I, I kind of disagree that we played well. We had a lot of pointless um, possession. Oh, I know that one, yeah. And... I'm not a stat head, but I do resort to them as a comfort blanket when people are telling me something I don't like hearing. Mm. So I was getting Spurs fans telling me, that was just good, we should have won that, we was robbed and all the other cliches. And there was somewhere in the region of, let's say, to round it up, 500 passes that Spurs had against uh, Chelsea's 250. But of Spurs's 500 passes, 432 and a half of them (laughs) were short passes. Yeah. Now, we're not a Syria A side, so we're a Premier League side. So, using my algebra, that says there were lots of like little panic passes. You know, hot potato, oh, fuck, you take it. <laughs> oh, Christ, you know, I've got three men on me. And um, we needed, uh, by the time the game had finished, we needed to have scored three more goals in order to win. Yeah. That, to me, is getting thumped. Um, I won't bore your lot by going into a proper sort of um, autopsy but we bizarrely played um, a player who's a, like a, an attacking forward as a wing back and it was potch tinkered around, I don't understand why I went into that game thinking that we could probably beat Chelsea Yeah. Um, but my overwhelming my overriding thought was that whoever won it, the psychological advantage and disadvantage was going to be colossal so if you won, you were going to like we can win the league. We can do the double. And we didn't. So Chelsea are feeling like that. And yeah. we look like somebody, like we, we just managed to be. Uh, Crystal Palace last night, and we did look for about, you know, outside of Eriksson's goal, like a, a group of people who'd got um, post-traumatic stress disorders.
1: Yeah, it can it can have a knock-on effect because you know there was a lot of talk afterwards. I mean, I, I, you're very much on the non-genus side of the fence here uh, in terms of how you viewed that game, and and you know, ultimately, there's no point having a lot of the ball if you're letting in four goals. But is it? Um, does it feel like this season is? The big chance to 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 win the title, I guess. I mean, there's still a Chelsea are still favourites, I think, um, but because of what's coming up on the horizon, playing at Wembley next season, a ground which doesn't really seem to suit Tottenham.
4: Um, That's an understatement. Yeah. I mean, the, the the league is on because it's mathematically on, which sounds cold and yeah. passionless. But the problem we have is we simply don't have the depth of talent in the squad so once you take away you know we get an injury or we get a player who doesn't have a good game you know, we're staring at some really nondescript players and, of course, um, the living legend that is uh, Musa Sissoko, <laughs> um, who um, played his best game for, for Spurs um, against Crystal Palace um, as he went into time-wasting mode for the last um, sort of seven minutes of extra time that were given due to an injury and pretended to be a corner flag um, <laughs> with his foot on top of the ball. Um, but, you know, th- this this. Squad is too thin to be a great squad, and that's I keep using this phrase despite ourselves. Um, so you know the, the the league the league is still on. What was the other thing you mentioned? Sorry, I think was it
1: trying? was it was Wembley, wasn't it? Because that's something oh, right. that you're going to have to contend with next season when when uh, well, when you play Wembley, every game there.
4: Wembley is possibly one of the most utterly stupid decisions um, a football club has made since. I don't know, somebody at Leeds said, hey, guys, I've just run a load of checkbooks in the drawer here. Um, Where should should you have gone? Where we should have gone was somewhere to consolidate um, the business, (laughs) okay? Because... You know, in real businesses, you have change management is a big thing because you can be doing something really well or whatever, but you change and it can hurt you. So the idea that you you go into a period of, say, uncertainty, you need to make sure you cushion the blow. So the idea that you play at what is a soulless stadium. But more importantly, the, the, the analogy I've made with Wembley is that of the Grand National. Now, if anybody listening knows anything about horses, the Grand National can only run once a year because if it was running twice a month, like you, your team playing at home twice a month, not including Cup and um, domestic and foreign games, if you were running the Grand National twice a month, your stable yard would be empty and there'd be a big pile of dead horses <laughs> um, you, you simply cannot do it. And for all of the, you know, the hoo-ha, yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of, I and mean, you have, in fact, every team has in the Premier League. A lot of fans that sort of puff their chest out, go, oh, yes, we're playing at Wembley, you know. It's like saying you ate at, uh, you know, so-and-so's restaurant or whatever. But the reality is, that is a, that's a one-off occasion. That's a gruelling war of attrition venue.
1: Yeah.
4: And you need lots of stuff in your locker as a football team in order to be successful at a, at a venue like that. So to play there twice a month,
1: is nuts. Well, it's also, Uh, I mean, I think one of the other things as well is that if if we accept on some level that fans play a part in how a team performs uh, and and creating an atmosphere, making perhaps a football ground intimidating as some can do, it's not really a Premier League thing, but, you know, there are grounds which are nice and small and compact. They make a lot of noise and, and it does have an effect on the atmosphere. And Wembley's an
4: absolute... Fucking shithole for that. Well, um, it, it, it really is. I mean, it, it, now Wembley compensates for being a toilet, a blocked toilet, by letting lots of people in. So, in theory, once you get the corporates out of the way, you've got 28,32,000 of your own lot jumping up and down, screaming and shouting.
1: But you've also got 28,000 of the other lot. That's how correct. they fill it. So
4: that but, but the more importantly, you've got the fucking air above your head. <laughs> the sound goes up. Mm. I'm not an acoustics expert, but trust me, that's what happens to it. Mm. The, the sound dissipates and goes up. And the, the problem you have is that you're getting this group of people that's smaller than your home stadium trying to compensate against these two enormous factors. Um. And the pitch is bigger. I think it's 400 square metres bigger or something bizarre like that. I can't really remember the exact money there. But it's it just doesn't fit. So what I, I would have done was I got to the point where I'd now say I'd happily go anywhere else, you know. Um, but there was a big thing amongst our su- uh, support uh, base, uh, especially the season ticket holders. Oh, we've got to be in London. They even came out with this crackpot theory this, this fear of the dark thing. If we played outside of London, we might not come back. <laughs>
1: Why Which, did they just leave the stadium that they're renovating, yeah, just leave like- it there and go, oh, it's nice out here in the countryside. I think we'll stay in like deep, dark Devon.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's like look, come on guys. I know I know you know this North London is arse thing, but look at these cream teas. We, we, don't get any, we don't get anything like that in Haringey. But it was it was it was really pushed through by the supporters trust who are uh, try and put this nicely a shower of wankers. Uh, <laughs> they 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 really championed this move. Um, and unfortunately they they can you know, a lot of a lot of supporters they they go, yeah, yeah, you you've got a name involved in your thing, yeah, go, that's a good idea, and they're just dummies. Mm. And we're now faced with this, with this. I think it's going to be an absolute d- disaster. Milton Keynes was we, was one lot that we spoke to, and the hysterics um, surrounding that was was uh, just embarrassing. I actually went to Milton Keynes. I had had to do some business with somebody there. And I bumped into, kind of by accident, a guy who worked at the club. And I had a look around the stadium, and as luck would have it, I actually stayed at the, the Hilton, which is built round the actual stadium.
1: Whoa, living the dream, the Hilton and Milton Keynes. Disease. Yeah,
4: well, it was a combination of, of, <laughs> of like you know being trapped in an episode of Alan Partridge, um, to put it mildly. But what was really crazy is you, you go into the hotel and you get your card, and they say, Enjoy your stay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you then go to your fucking room, and it, it dawns on you. There's a there's like the two lifts like there are in every hotel. People mm. walk around the pitch <laughs> to get to your room. It took me like twenty five minutes to come down for fucking breakfast. <laughs> well you, know, you you go, oh I am in room three oh four. So you think that's oh, the third floor, it's probably the fourth door down on the right or whatever it is. Yeah. But you're actually behind the fucking goal. <laughs> yeah, you know. But Milton Keynes itself, the stadium, is purpose built. Um it is as far as these things go, lovely, and it would have been a proper little fortress. Um, unlike Wembley, you can actually get to it. Yeah. Uh, unlike Wembley, there are a an array of shops and chains and bars and eateries across the way, so you could actually enjoy yourself. Um, and unlike Wembley, it's actually a purpose built football stadium, opposed to like a massive corporate thing to, like, just squeeze in 90,000 people and charge them all tennis for hot dogs.
1: Yeah. Well, look, uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's definitely going to be a challenge. Because I even remember when, when Arsenal went there to play Champions League games. you yeah, know that's the, the, what I was going to say. You guys did, did terribly there. Yeah, it was bad. And, look, you can see uh, – well, I don't think we had any choice at the time because of I think it was UEFA restrictions about advertising or whatever that, I can't
4: remember – capacity or some – thing or well, other capacity um, thing, I've just I just to bore everybody further, I've actually looked into this. I looked up the UA for the docs, which are a fascinating read for anybody who's got insomnia. The the capacity thing is a myth. Um, you, you you can you have to only have it's over something like four thousand seats. And it is more to do with the um, the merchandising of the the Champions League and the U- Europa Cup branding, right? Yeah, and the amount of sort of square footage there is for that. Yeah, um, the press allocation, all the, the sort of usual nuts and bolts. They're very low requirements mm. comparatively speaking, but because there, there were a couple of teams, there was one team that Chelsea played, and they had like four thousand and twelve capacity or something
1: just about got in
4: yeah, but the clubs, you see, they, they they need to milk it.
1: Well, that's exactly but- it. I mean, I, maybe that's what Arsenal did was that they thought, okay, we can we can get seventy five, eighty thousand 80,000 people into Wembley. I think they did sell some cheap tickets, but from a performance point of view, when you go from Highbury, which is home, which is, you know, a, a compact, old-fashioned stadium to to that Wembley, which was the old Wembley at the time, I mean, you, you just don't feel at home there. And that's obviously something that, that you guys are going to have to contend with um, when you go there next season. But, you know, that's something we can all enjoy um, from from August gonna, onwards, yeah, so
4: anybody out there, anybody out there who hates Spurs, they're going to have a lot of free fun come <laughs> their way next season. I mean, we we've gone till the end of this month. Um, Levy, the the, the Spurs uh, CEO, sent out an email to everybody, um, or the, the membership season ticket guys, two three days ago, saying that the decision would be made at the end of the month. He's still scrambling. Um, the bulldozers are booked to come in after the Man United game. Um, But I'm really struggling to see. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no logical reason why this is going to work for us. If you guys were a better team when you were there
2: Mm.
4: and you couldn't, cope with it, we sold, we sold um, seats for £5 and £10 at our last Champions League game that we lost, and yeah. people were, were leaving in droves on the hour mark.
1: Mm. Someone was telling me, I don't know if, if this is in any way an exclusive to you, but someone was telling me that the box holders at Tottenham have already been um, sent letters to say Wembley is on, buy your box at Wembley, so... Um, yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah. They, they, the, the, the problem with the communication, as ever, and it's probably the same at Arsenal, same at everybody else, is that the the high rollers get the information filtered down to them? Yeah. Because there's a need to bring the the money in, um, so. You know um, the stuff they put in the press for the ordinary rabble to, to pick up on always comes out later. Mm.
1: So look, um, it is going to be a season when you guys finish ahead of Arsenal. Um, I'm a bit like you in the sense that like that that's not one of the things that defines a season for me. Even if over the years have been some some very funny moments from an Arsenal point of view, not from from <laughs> your point of view. Of course, I'm thinking yeah. of of uh, last season in particular was was tremendous. It, it was so good. It made Made Arsenal fans forget how shit we'd been and what a chance we'd blown to to win the title so that's what it was. Um how are you how are you feeling about Sunday? I know it is the old cliche about form going out the window uh, when it comes to the derby but it is it is really true I think in this in this game in particular.
4: Um if we play like we did against Chelsea I'll be going out the window. Mm. Um it's I thought we were going to beat Chelsea um, which is a fascinating insight I, I, I would have thought, based upon, you know, had we beaten them, that we could beat you too. I'm now completely uncertain, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if you beat us at all. Um, I know I should be more upbeat. We're second, we're above you, but its not it doesn't define anything. The results define um, stuff in football to me. So if we beat you... Um, twice a season or once a season, or we draw. That tells me more about where we're going. And I've got this obsession of looking towards the trophy cabinet. And we've got one pot in there after seventeen years. Yeah, um, which probably reflects our, I think, close to zero net spend within the same period.
1: Mm. Well, it's going to be a very interesting one because for you guys, it's a game that you've got to get, you've got to win. I think really to keep pace with Chelsea. Um, if we take any points off you at all. Uh, is going to make Chelsea's job a, a little bit easier.
4: Um, well, I hope you don't do anything stupid like, um, you know, throw a ball really hard at one of your players' shoulders.
1: Yeah, well, look, that was that was an outrageous piece of, uh, of violent conduct there that... Uh, <laughs>
4: I, <laughs> and, uh, somebody, somebody put on the blog, did he not realise he would be spotted? And I said, well, you know, sometimes you can forget you stood in front of, like, you know, a few tens of thousands of people and... Um, you know, twenty-one high-definition cameras.
1: Yeah, that, could, I, I that could just go out of your head. I, I yeah, I mean, look, I I I don't quite understand why all the focus is on Sanchez and is rolling around. I mean, it was a bit, um it was a bit uh, Rivaldo-esque, but you know, a little bit of shithousing is is no big issue. But the, they completely overlooked the fact that that your man threw the ball straight at his head. Um, well, the guy, you're not allowed
4: to understand- do that, right? no you're not i mean it, it, it was it was clearly um i mean i know it's a piece of upvc or whatever they made neoprene or whatever um, and there was a limit to the damage he could do but it was thrown violently at the guy so mm. that was an offense before the ball landed on anything or anyone and then i've watched the slow-mo thing which is on twitter i'm sure we've all seen it and it bounces off his thing and he then goes Oh, yeah. Oh, that's it. The face. And then collapses. (laughs) So they were both guilty of being very daft. Yes. Which I believe is a punishable offence.
1: Well, look, um, uh, being daft has been something we've been masters of this season. So um, I'm hopeful that we... Uh, We'll try and rein in those tendencies uh, a little bit at White Hart Lane on Sunday, but uh, we'll leave it there. Harry, go on. Have you got one more thing to say?
4: No, no. I was just going to say, I just just hope it doesn't go so badly. We have to watch Giroux doing that sort of um, jiggity, jiggity celebration, click his heels dancing. The the Morecambe and Wise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um...
1: If there was a DVD of that, um, you know, that would be good. Well, look, you guys know a lot about making DVDs. (laughs) Harry Hotspur, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed to Harry Hotspur, wishing him no luck whatsoever for Sunday. But if you want to check his stuff out, it is theboyhotspur.com, theboyhotspur.com. So that's it. All we've got to do is look ahead very uh, quickly to the game on Sunday. Uh, It's Thursday. We haven't had a press conference yet. We don't know what the team news is. Hopefully... Uh, Nothing too serious. There was that issue with Lauren Koscielny, of course, where he uh, tweaked his knee late in the game, came back on, so you're hoping that it was not too serious. I wouldn't like to be going there without Lauren Koscielny. I would imagine his fitness will play a big part in whether or not we stick with three at the back. If he's fit, then uh, I think we probably will. If not, uh, who do you bring in? We don't really have three. Mustafi, I think, would still be injured. Per Murtisacker still a bit uh, sidelined and then you've only got Gabrielle and and Rob holding so uh, it's very difficult to know what's going to happen there but it's just one of those weird games where, as I said earlier in the show, form does go out the window, and considering our form has been in the toilet, that's maybe not necessarily a bad thing, but maybe we can just pick up on where we left off against uh, Manchester City and uh, not so much against uh, Leicester City in in midweek because uh, I think the team was tweaked a little bit there to keep some players fresh, keep some legs fresh ahead of the game on Sunday. It is it's a game that could put an end to tottenham's title uh, title hopes it is you know if we take even just points off them take a couple of points off them and chelsea win they uh, it's going to make it very very difficult for them but obviously if we want to get into the top 4 then we've got to we've got to win the game and it would be good it would be uh, nice to to go there the last game at that white hart lane and come away with a win as we did in 2004 when we came away having won the title um yeah, I just don't know what to think about it, other than it's it's a game that I find difficult to enjoy until it's over and we've won, and anything between the first whistle and the final whistle when we haven't is a bit of an endurance, so uh, so look, we'll wait and see. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully Arsenal can get us a result. I think they owe us after what they've put us through the last few weeks, and uh, if they can dig in like they did against Manchester City, uh, I don't think it's beyond them, but it is going to be very difficult, obviously, Tottenham at home, and they're full of confidence playing pretty well, and uh, they They've got a lot to play for, so maybe that could be a good thing. Maybe when they've got a lot to play for, they tend to, what's that word? You know, spurs it up a bit, so let's hope they do that. That would be good. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday to discuss the game with you and everything that happens at White Hart Lane. It won't be on Monday morning, though, so those of you expecting an Arscast Extra on Monday morning, sorry. But James is away until Monday afternoon. We will be recording late on Monday afternoon, and we'll have the podcast for you very early uh, Monday evening. So probably, I would say, around 6 o'clock, we'll have the Arscast Extra for you on Monday. So sit tight until then. Hopefully, we've got lots of good stuff to talk about. Um, Have yourselves a great weekend in the meantime. And come on, Arsenal. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
2: Well, I was a very, very young man when all this went down, and of course the wisdom you have as an older person doesn't necessarily translate itself to the youth, of course, and they think they think they know everything, and I was one of those, I thought. I thought I had the world at my feet, but of course the world is bigger than anyone's feet. Even Kanu's feet, they're very, very, very big feet. But no, he doesn't have the world at them, no. And I remember him saying to me, Look, you and I, we have to come to an agreement about all this. And I said, God, why won't you just leave me alone? I want to do my own thing. We had a terrible, terrible row one night terrible row. I remember going around to my friend's house, Giles. Giles was his name. He was an ace tennis player and also a magician, an absolute magician on the Zenith Spectrum. He could complete Jet Set Willie within 21 minutes, and we were in awe of him. But it was a traumatic time for me, a very difficult time, and I... I suffered a lot, I suffered a lot, and one night we were there playing Manic Minor and he said, look, what's wrong with you, what is the problem that you have, because it's encapsulating, it's encompassing your whole life, it's going to take you down, and I said to him, look, my old man, he said, what did he say, he said, I said, look, I, it's, it's hard for me to tell you, but... My old man, he said, be a Tottenham fan. He was aghast. He couldn't believe it. Of all the things that he might have said to me down the years, he paused for the longest time. What did you say to him, he said. What could I say, I said. He wouldn't accept that, though. What did you say, he said. The only thing I could say, I said. I said, fuck off, bollocks. You're a cunt. Did your relationship ever recover from that, he said. No, I said. He died not long after. And
0: This holiday season, treat yourself.
2: To be honest, I was uh, quite glad. He was an awful cut.